I'm Jessica Harris, and welcome to my welcome table. Gather round this special table. It's scarred with memories, pitted with burned spots from hot skillets, and decorated with moisture rings from frosty glasses of lemonade, beer bottles, bourbon and ginger ale, and untold goblets of red wine. This table will be our flying carpet as we travel around the world. I'll share some of my secret spots. We'll meet new friends and reconnect with old ones. Sometimes, the table will be covered with fine porthot linen and my mother's bone china, and we'll sup on caviar and champagne. Other times, we'll cover it with yesterday's news and hanker down for a crawfish boil or a lobster supper. Whatever the meal, by the end of our time together, we'll have shared some special friends, sacred spots, and the food, drink, and music that connects them. So come, join me at my welcome table. Hi, my name's Mitzi Pratt, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I am Patrick Dunn, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is John Barkley, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. My name is Anne McBride, and I'm sitting at the welcome table. I'm Betty Fussell, and I, too, am sitting at the welcome table. Compass point, 2.17 degrees north, 6.25 degrees west. Cotonou, Benin. A narrow north-south strip of land in West Africa lies between the equator and the Tropic of Cancer. Bounded by Togo to the west, Burkina and Faso and Niger to the north, Nigeria to the east, and the Bight of Benin to the south, it is one of the smaller countries in West Africa. Officially known as the République du Bénin, the Republic of Benin, and it was formerly Dahomey. The official language is French, but Fauna and Yoruba and Hausa, among other traditional languages, are commonly spoken. The largest religious group is Roman Catholic, followed closely by those who celebrate Islam, Protestantism, and Vaudin. But more about that later. From the 17th to the 19th century, the main political forces in the region were the Kingdom of Dahomey, the city-state of Porto Novo, a tributary to the powerful Kingdom of Oyo, and a large area with many different tribes to the north. The whole region was referred to as the Slave Coast from as early as the 17th century because of the large number of slaves shipped to the New World during the transatlantic slave trade. At its height, the trade, which began with an agreement with the Portuguese in 1472, was sending captured souls to the New World at the astonishing rate of 102,000 per decade. The trade began early and lasted long. Country's last slave ship left for Brazil in 1885, after the trade had been banned, but when enslavement was still in effect in Brazil. France took over after the trade and named the country Dahomey. 
The country gained its independence from France in 1960, but underwent a period of upheaval marked by government changes and coup d'etats. I remember a Marxist-Leninist period when everyone was a comrade. In 1991, though, I became Madame again, and the government was replaced by the current multi-party Republic of Benin. Dahomey Kingdom, Danhomey, the country in the belly of Dan, the cosmic snake, was well known for its culture and its traditions. They were military. Young boys were often apprenticed to older soldiers who taught them the kingdom's military customs until they were old enough to join the army. But the thing that's amazing is Dahomey was also known for its elite female soldier corps called the Ahosi, which means the king's wives, or the Mino, meaning our mothers in the Fon language, Fongbe. They were known by the Europeans simply as the Dahomeyan Amazons. The European soldiers were startled to discover, as they were taking trophies from the fierce fighting force that they had bested in battle, that the soldiers were women. I have a postcard image of the last of the Amazons that I keep on my desk to exhort me onward. Their faces, even in defeat, retain a quiet dignity and a fierceness along with an ineffable sadness that makes them haunting as they watch over me. Jesus did it like a magic show, but these pilot women made a garden grow. They are goddesses, they are angels, they are warriors like an Amazon princess. Oh, teach me to fight the good fight. I knew none of this, though, when I first journeyed to Benin in 1972. I stayed in a former colonial hotel, the Hotel du Port, that overlooked the waterfront and the Gulf of Benin, about which 18th century sailors had said, Beware and take care of the Bight of Benin. There's few who come out, though many go in. They say that because of the fevers that assailed the Europeans on the coast. They were there to kidnap Africans, but the fevers got them. But that was the past. I've journeyed to Benin many times and learned to love its people and its history. Benin is eternal. The visitor wants to connect to the past and to the present. Present-day Cotonou, the commercial capital, is a sleepy town with sandy streets humming with traffic and the capital's own particular motorcycle taxis known as Zemijan or Mosquitoes, an apt name considering their irritating humming way of buzzing in and out of traffic patterns. I love Benin because one of my best friends in the world lives there. And since 1995, when I first met her in Dakar, Senegal, my Beninoise secret weapon has been my Beninoise twin sister, Theodora Komaklo. Theodora and I have been talking about food and eating ever since we met. I've cooked in her huge kitchen in Dakar, planning a sit-down dinner for 10 that I served fried chicken, hop and john, and other black American favorites to my Senegalese friends who marveled at their similarity. When she arrived in Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire, I followed and cooked some more. When she lived in New York, we cooked together on this side of the Atlantic, 
And now that she's back in Benin, where she's from, we're still cooking. Theodora has been my guide to the food of the western part of the African continent. Over the years, I've come to know not only her immediate family, but also her sisters and mothers as well. And yes, that's mothers, two S's. Her father had two wives. He was a polygamist. I cannot see the twinkling lights of the night markets of Cotonou or wander through the carotid stalls of the Marché de Dantokpa in Cotonou as well, or even drink chilled Laurent Perrier Grand Siècle Champagne in the continent's grand receptions without thinking of our adventures together. She has been my guide to the cooking of the country that is, for me, one of my favorite eating places on the African continent. Theodora knows me well. She's always aware that my first stop is going to be the market. Now, Benin is the mother load for any lover of West African markets. It is home to the Dan Tokpa, the big daddy of all markets. The Tokpa, as it's called, is operated on a four-day traditional calendar. And on every fourth day, there is a grand marché, a big market. And if I'm lucky... I'll hit it on one of those days. Then, an entire town is established in one area of the city with individual spots specializing in different items, one for fabric, one for fruits, one for foodstuffs, and so forth. There is even a section with gasoline being purveyed rather precariously in what looked to be plastic bottles of various sizes. On the days of the Grand Tokpa, what seemed to be acres are transformed into markets, with vendors coming from as far away as Ghana to sell everything conceivable. A section also deals with items strictly for Vaudin, a religion that originated in Benin and that has witnessed a resurgence there in recent years. If you miss the Tokpa, there's a chance that you might make the Ajara, another market devoted entirely to Vaudin necessities and objects that come from the Yoruba people of southwestern Nigeria. There, I've seen all manner of things displayed on mats on the ground. It's about an hour out of Cotonou, but it's worth going because you never know what you're going to find. I've seen elephant ear and vulture's heart and witnessed the initiates of a Vaudin convent making their rounds begging alms from the stall holders. The Ajara is a place of mystery and magic, a don't-miss market, now, I love the Tokpa, and I'm fascinated by the Ajara, but my favorite Beninoise market is the night market in Cotonou. Like many of my favorite travel adventures, I discovered it by accident. It was evening, and Theodora was rushing home to prepare dinner. As we bustled down the sandy streets of the capital, we suddenly stopped and parked. 
I followed curiously as her rapid steps took us through an archway that we had passed on several occasions without my noticing. As we entered, and my eyes adjusted to the darkness, I was thrilled to see the small oil lamps on each stand were prepared from used condensed milk tins and looked exactly like the ones in night markets in Haiti. The rich aroma of boiling palm oil perfumed the air. Women dressed in brightly colored wrappers with head ties stood by their pots offering fried tidbits and banana leaves filled steamed delights. We purchased some akasa, a fermented corn paste wrapped in leaves. Some of the akara, deep-fried bean fritters that had been perfuming the air with their fragrance. Now, I wanted to stay and watch the women as they turned pieces of chicken on the grills and deftly prepared sauces in multicolored enamel bowls. Theodora, though, for whom this magic was just quotidian, made her purchases, allowed me a few minutes to gaze and savor, and then we went out through the archway and back into the street. But the night market haunts me, and I will get back there. Cotonou offers many delights, but so do the outlying towns, and so at some point, it's time to take to the road. The town of Ouida, an excursion from Cotonou, is a stop on Benin's slave route. Twelve million people were deported from the slave coast during the trade. Bruce Chatwin wrote about Ouida and its historic importance in his book, The Viceroy of Ouida. The town, which was a hub of that trade, explains its infamous heritage at the Fortaleza São Batista, the Portuguese fort that was built in 1721. The restored fort houses a museum that traces the slaving history of the town and various aspects of Beninois culture that were exported to Brazil, the Caribbean, and even the United States as a result. Much to the despair of many of the country's staunch Roman Catholics, Ouida is also home of an annual festival in January celebrating Vaudin that draws practitioners and scholars from all over the world. One of the centers of practice is the town's Temple of the Pythons, home to 60 seemingly sleepy pythons, or so I've been told. Snakes are about 14 plus on my horror scale of 1 to 10, so I will never, never be visiting the temple. But for those without my problems, it's a must-see sight, certainly a memorable one. Now, I'm going to give up on the pythons. I'd rather journey to Ganvier, about an hour north of Cotonou. It's a village perched on Lake Nokwe that is the largest collection of stilted lake dwellings in Africa. I've seen the Venice of the North. That would be Amsterdam. I've seen Venice itself. And after Gonvier, I've seen Africa's Venice as well.
any history lover, the Musée Historique d'Abomé in Abomé to the north of the city is the place to begin. Abomé is a few hour drive on the rutted roads that take you outside of the capital, but it's a must take trip into the past. Made up of the buildings and courtyards that were the homes of the kings of Dahomey, the museum tells the story of the kingdom of Dahomey in artifacts and architecture. There are over a thousand objects and a collection of thrones and ritual objects belonging to the kings of Dahomey. Unfortunately, many of the better pieces and the better known ones, like King Lele's crown, King Beonzin's ricotta or ceremonial staff, and the life-size metal statue of Gu, known to some as Ogun, are in the Musée de Quai Branly in Paris, where they were taken years ago as spoils of war. But that's another story. Missing items notwithstanding, there is enough information, enough to see and absorb, and enough astounding history to occupy the most avid history buff. Sooner or later, though, history takes a backseat to my grumbling stomach. And while market nibbles are wonderful and I love Theodora's home cooking, eventually I want to give my friends a break, so we head out to a restaurant. Now, restaurants in Benin range from the rustic ones called maquis that are set up virtually everywhere to more sophisticated fare. For maquis, all it takes is someone with a table, a few chairs or stools, and an individual with a deft hand for preparing the poisson or poulet braisé, grilled chicken or fish that are mainstays of the menu. One of the most popular ones is Mama Aimé, where you can get a scoop of pâte, that is any kind of starchy uh, paste, over which a sauce will be served, and the sauces vary from the merely aromatic and well-seasoned to the incendiary hot and spicy. Try to see if you can find some pete. Pete is a goat stew that is rich, rich, rich with the flavor of cubebs, which are called piment pays. L'atelier in Cajejon is the other end of the culinary spectrum, and it offers innovative takes on French food and reminds one of Benin's Gallic influence. There's even Chinese, actually Vietnamese food, available at Haiking. Hotels like the Novotel at the Marina offer international restaurant options as well. But if you're lucky, you'll find, as I once did with a group of friends, a simple doorway that opened into a restaurant operated by a former expat. I was instantly transported back to 1960s France with the food, the decor, and the music. I've long forgotten its name, but I fondly remember it as the spot where I learned to drink La Fiole du Pape, a crook-necked Côte du Rhône that turns up on lots of wine lists in the tropics. It's often served slightly chilled, and it's perfect with either the spice of traditional Beninoise sauces or with a steak frite.
When the sun goes down, Jammin' Bar is a local favorite, with folks who stop for a nibble or a drink or two before heading on to venues like New York, New York, a Cotonou institution that reminds of a cross between a disco and an old-style West African club. Want to hear some jazz? Don't miss Le Repère du Bacchus, where it is the thing on Thursdays. The weekends, though, are given over to old-school rumba and Ivoirian sounds. Now, the old-school Afro-Cuban rumba gets my feet to shuffle and in my hips to swing and in my mind to thinking of all of the dance floors that I have swung out on on all of the continent. So I'll just keep listening to the music and I'll keep dancing. Until next time. Keep muscular good and greasy when I'm gone, gone, gone. Keep muscular good and greasy when I'm gone.